You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling into the helping spirits to be with us and to assist us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who are here before us, who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our lineage into our lives. I call out to these ancestors and ask them to stand with us, to help us to learn from those who have gone before us, to understand deeply that which we reflect back on and realize in our time, we don't want to do this anymore. We want to do it differently. We want to do it in a way that is more life-affirming, perhaps. One that is not so costly on the environment. Perhaps in a way that is more sustaining. In a way that sets things up in a better, better stead for those who are coming. So we ask our ancestors, those who have been here before, to help us as humans understand how to manage the many forces in our life in a way that frees up our particular unique energy, that energy of the living, to innovate and to change, to meet the challenges of our time in a way that brings out the beauty that we have not yet known. And we ask these ancestors to stand strong with us that this might be true in our lifetime. And we call out to those ancestors who were here long before they were humans. And we ask them to help us to surrender deeply into our own true nature. To understand deeply why we are here and how we fit into this great fabric of life. And let us we live in a way that weaves that fabric ever stronger. And so with their assistance, those human and non-human ancestors, that life that has gone before us... We gather our own energy into ourselves from wherever it might be into our head. And we take a breath and draw it from our head to our heart. And another breath, drawing it from our heart to our belly. And from our belly, we reach down and take a moment to touch the earth. Take a moment in which you stop everything that you're doing for just that moment and connect to the energy of the earth and give thanks. Thanks for your life. Thanks for your day. Thanks for all that is before you, even the challenges, even those things that bring contemporary frustration and irritation because they are many. We give thanks even for these things, for we are alive. We give thanks for breath and beauty and diversity and that possibility in this day to do something that we have not yet done before that brings a resolution that can bring peace or simply brings something joyful into the world. And so we give great gratitude to the earth and the generosity of her dreaming that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And for that generosity, we give thanks and send our energy down, down through all the layers of the earth, all the way down to the very center of the earth. And we take a moment there, whether you visualize the center of the earth as a great fiery core or you visualize it as dark, still pool, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you visualize it clearly, connect yourself firmly there so that we can reach into this energy that is the pure potential before it becomes all the great abundance here on the face of the earth. We reach into that potential and draw it up into our life, drawing up into ourselves that which renews and refreshes and restores. We draw this energy up into our body and we use it to inform us, to help us understand how to ground our own energy, to make that choice to be grounded, to understand where we stand in life and what we stand for, and to build our sense of home around that, to not lock our sense of home into a place or a nation, but to let home and belonging be something that travels with us. And let's create a sense of home that is not simply defined by gathering those that are like us, 
but a sense of home that is defined by inviting in those who are different, those who would provoke us with their own understanding of the world to become the men and women we're really meant to be through those challenges, through those conversations, through that which allows us to grow and change. And we call these energies in. And in this way, we learn to become better connected with those strange, diverse aspects of ourself and with the world, that world which is other than human. And as we reach out and understand connection and interconnection and interdependence in our relationships, let us finally open ourselves to understanding and feeling the great web of life. And with this energy, let us come into right relationship with ourselves and draw the energy of the earth up up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and draw it all the way up out to the sky and whatever weather it holds for you today out through the atmosphere and all the way up into the cosmos all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name whatever name you know this energy whatever way you conceive of it reach it touch it with your own energy and take a moment to feel yourself touched in return And through this connection, we begin to draw down the radiant energies from above. We draw them into ourselves, into our life, into these proceedings. We draw down the essence energy of blessings. And we draw that energy out and into the world. We call down the energy of protection. We draw down the energy of commitment and devotion, inspiration and illumination. And we draw into our hearts the great benevolence of this universe. We call in the wisdom of the cosmos we call down the beneficence of this existence we call it all in into ourself into our head into our heart into our belly and send it down to the center of the earth so the nourishing energies from above below and the radiant energies from above move through us and connect each to the other and in this way we as humans open our center channel to be a meeting place of the above and below of the yin and the yang and these two great legendary lovers come together within us and open up the big love the big love that has birthed this experience of form that we're all sharing into existence and may the presence of that energy awaken the spirit of our own heart and with our heart awakened may we call out for that crucible of transformation that lives in our heart and draw up the fiery passions of our belly so that they are known and loved and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and the practicality and the reason and we call that down so that it is loved and we let these two energies mix and merge and dance together in such a way that they bring forth that which we are here to do and may you find in that same human heart the courage that you need to do something in this day large or small to bring what you must do out into the world let your gifts be known and be shared and for all the great help that we have around us in many many forms to do that i give great thanks may what needs to be said be said here today what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things i give great thanks to those of you that helped me to keep this show on the air for those that you are listening for the first time why shamanism now is listener supported is because of listeners like you and your generosity that the bills that keep the show available and free to all who can connect with it through the internet um, that those bills get paid because of your donations and I'm deeply grateful for that I'm grateful to Amira and Kent and Willow to Kelly, Eduardo, Damini Jeffrey, Bell, Mia, Jose Christy, Lisa, and all the listeners who are able to donate financially to the show. Large or small, every amount that is donated goes directly to keeping the show on the air. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, it means that you've been moved somehow in your heart. And I ask you to do that most shamanic of actions, which is to allow your heart, that which motivates your heart, to motivate your actions in the world. And please do something, large or small, to help the show to grow to share shows to comment on the shows go to the facebook page and leave comments about the shows engage others bring the teachings into your journey circles um, into your own personal practice wrestle with them try to break them see what happens let me know send send me show questions and um, show ideas and for all of this this is how we together keep the show uh, relevant 
to people that are practicing shamanism today, because this is the point of the show, is how do we apply shamanism, its skills, its practices to our contemporary lives in a way that is meaningful. And so for your help in doing that, I'm grateful. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, donate any amount, large or small. Um, It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And if you're uncomfortable with paying via the internet, please just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I'd be happy to give you a regular address. We are live today, so if you have questions about today's topic, which is about dying well and how understanding how to die well uh, teaches us how to live well. Um, so if you do have questions about today's topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site if you're listening live here. Um, or you can just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I would be happy to answer your questions. Um, often your questions, which you think are simple, are actually really great questions and turn into an entirely new show. Um, so thank you all. So before I dive into today's show, I have to admit that I was, as I was thinking about death and how it informs life, which is really a major piece of my own coming into shamanism, um, having experienced um, death early in life. Um, It's kind of been with me for a long time as a companion, actually. Um, not, but uh, thinking about death, it hasn't been uh, far from our awareness in this last week with the earthquakes in Nepal and all that is going on uh, here in the United States. It's kind of everywhere. But before I get too far into today's show, I do want to acknowledge what's going on in Nepal because there are many people and places in Nepal who shared their wisdom and their energy with me along the way in my own shamanic journey. And so I'm very happy as we're beginning to hear um, how many people are safe and sound. But many of you are also emailing me and asking, you know, what can we do beyond the obvious, which is prayers, blessings, aid. Um, And I suggest actually that you purchase Shamanism Without Borders, which is an excellent book exploring precisely this kind of situation. How do we address traumatic situations, be they natural disasters like an earthquake um, or human disasters like Baltimore in the United States, racism in the United States, these things, how do we, how do we address these larger issues on, on a larger scale? And, and these aren't complex issues, but there are things you need to consider before you act shamanically because shamanic skills are extremely powerful. However, there, there are some misunderstandings out there about the, the, ap, the right application of shamanic skills. And this book, does an, published by the um, Society of Shamanic Practitioners, um, does an excellent job exploring those ideas. And so again, you can go to shamansociety.org. That's the SSP website and order their book, Shamanism Without Borders, because it has excellent suggestions for how you can answer the question, what can I do now to help beyond, again, beyond the obvious, beyond prayers and blessings and aid and those obvious things. What more can you do given the fact that you have shamanic skills? You can do more. And this book is a marvelous companion for any of you who feel called by these kind of larger scale events to help affect change. Um, So I I strongly encourage that. Okay, so moving on with our topic today, which is life and death. Um, So with all of this swirling around us right now, particularly the killings, the this, this, um, I don't even know what to call it. constancy, I guess, of these racial killings here in the United States and the racial stress and disconnection that is really rising to this utterly unlivable level. I mean, not that it has been good, but it's really becoming unlivable. And it's as if we humans are becoming our own natural disaster. Um, And this begs the question, how do we live well together? Um, 
I talk a lot about what I have learned from shamanic cultures about what is necessary to live well and I get accused of romanticizing the past and believe me, I am the last person who wants to go back. I love hot water. I love hot running water. I love having the things I have at my fingertips in my contemporary life. I do not romanticize the past. But I also understand very clearly dealing with people all the time and their illness, their mental illness, their physical illness, their cultural illness, that we do not have the skills anymore to live together. And anyone who thinks we do is naive, deeply and painfully naive. So how do we learn to live well together? So there's a recent release of a film. Um, there's an organization called Films um, for Action, all one word, filmsforaction.org. And they just recently released a film about genocide of the first peoples here in North America. And uh, here we have such a long and deep history of humans and their capacity to abuse power. And in particular, their capacity to use their relationship with what they believe as God to justify that behavior, which is particularly painful abuse of power. That it can be really overwhelming with all of this going on, natural disasters, human disasters. It's, it, it can be overwhelming and it can become an excuse to shut down. And I suggest that if we call ourselves shamanic practitioners, that we don't shut down. That if we stay connected, we can learn from death and anguish and disgust with much of what is going on. We can learn about how to live. That there are truly enormous challenges in our time right now, both human-made and natural-made. Though I suppose we could probably argue that the intensity of much of our natural disasters right now is probably human-made. But that's not the topic of this show. Nonetheless, these are the challenges of our time. And we are the living. So this is the landscape on which we will write this story the story that we write with our lives. So yeah, these challenges are the logical conclusion of the old story. Absolutely. You can point your finger backwards and then turn that finger right around and take a good look at it. How are you personally doing? Moving your mind and the stories that it tells. Moving your heart and what you believe is possible. And moving your actions, what you truly actually have the courage to do. How are you doing moving yourself out of the old story and truly becoming part of the new story? For me, this effort, which is mine to do as well, is best attended with death as my ally. I suggest that in all of us, the old story could be dying faster. I think those that listen to Charles Eisenstein and are thinking about the new world are certainly all involved in being part of the new thing. And the degree to which we carry the old story could die faster. And if the old story wasn't so deeply ensconced in a fear of death, we would be doing it faster. Because the important thing to understand, which we have lost in all of the monotheistic religions that have swept the globe, in all of them what we lose is the profound understanding that life does not get renewed by living by the rules. It gets renewed by recycling the dead. By understanding again and again that life is not an A to B journey. It's a circle. And this is the problem is we've become disconnected from the understanding that it is by willing to kill off, to invite and bring in death to those aspects of myself that no longer serve me and the dream I am living today that I create the resources for the life I want to be living. So for the new story to rise, we must pull our energy out of the old. 
one way or another. And this, to me, is really the great gift of death as an ally. So, you know, for me, this is really the value right now of shamanism and its engagement with nature, with helping spirits who are often animals, often plants, who don't get caught up in human history, but keep coming back to the practicality of living here on earth. And in particular, for me, in my, in my practice, these are the teachings of the destroyer goddesses. It's the teachings of the dung beetle. It's the teachings of the condor, the vulture. It's the teachings of those who bring the energy from death across the gap and back into life. That it's important to understand the right application of death, right relationship with death, constant, honest engagement with death as a way to renew life, to re-inspire life, and to be sure that we are really focusing our resources on things that are truly still alive in us and not simply through our carelessness allowing our energy to go into that which is already dead. And every single time you have delayed a breakup, you are doing that. I mean this very practically. That every single time you have delayed ending a relationship you know is over, you are allowing your energy to go into what is dead and not forward into that which is living. This is how simple it is how common it is for us to engage in the churning of sending our life force energy into what we actually know in our mind and our heart is already dead. And so this to me is the great value of death as life's greatest ally. So we ignore death culturally here in America and much of the Western world. Our medical system tries to fight death, sees death as a great failure. And that death is treated as something that we run from until we're given some sort of massive accident or terminal diagnosis. And then suddenly we crash land on planet death and have to deal with death differently. And for those who actually do, you often hear them saying the blah, blah, blah is the best thing that ever happened to me because it finally helped me to see that my life was out of balance or, you know, whatever whatever the story is, but it helped the person to see. And so my question is, why wait? Why wait until you are forced by the circumstances of your life to crash land on the terminal diagnosis planet of death? Why wait? The beauty, one of the great beauties of shamanic peoples and their cosmologies and their practices is that life is at hand. And death is at hand, you know, each, each one to the right, one to the left, that they are just right there all the time. And that the fact that we are somewhat disconnected from the death of the plants and animals that we end up eating because of so many aspects of our medical system, we're somewhat disconnected from a high level of um, children dying, etc., we think that that's why we're disconnected from death, but we're not disconnected from death for those reasons. We're disconnected from death because we choose to be, because we've been taught that that's the right thing to do. And what I believe anyone who calls himself a shamanic practitioner needs to do daily is to get up and after your little morning practice, your intentions, your altar, whatever it is, to ask yourself, is today a good day to die? If I were dead today, would I have done what I came here to do to the best of my ability with the amount of time that I had? And if you can answer that question with a robust yes, great. It means you are living well. Most of us can't. And this is the thing that I've really come to understand from working with the dead, doing a lot of ancestral healing. See, it's not really death that we should be afraid of. It is an unlived life that should terrify us. It has become ever more clear with each ancestral healing that I do. 
from each of them, I learn how our unlived lives, the many ways that our unlived lives and our unreconciled relationships, that which we leave behind undone, binds us here at death. And whatever, what I've come to understand then is that whatever helps us to die well, the very actions we would take in our life so that we die well, are exactly the same actions that we would take to live well. So let's get at it. So I did want to comment that October 1st, um, I'm going to be offering a weekend at Rowe Conference Center in Massachusetts, the beautiful um, conference center in rural Massachusetts. Um, and the conference is Shamanic Wisdom for Living and Dying Well. And it's meant to be an exploration of um, what I feel like I've learned about living well from doing all of this ancestral healing and, and in, in essence, what's necessary to die well and then given that, what does that say about life and what's really necessary to live well. And so that is going to be uh, in October and at the moment the exact dates are escaping me. But you can go to Roe, um, R-O-W-E, Roe Center, I think, .org. And it's already in the calendar there. And you register through Roe Center anyway. Okay. So what do we learn from ancestral healings then? What, what am I talking about? Um, well, the main thing is, is that not everyone leaves when they die. I mean, that's the main thing that we've learned from ancestral healing. And this is not an aspect of traditional shamanism. And there are many, many episodes of Why Shamanism Now that talk about ancestral healing and the larger discussion around ancestral healing. This is just ancestral healing in a nutshell uh, to give us some context for today's show. So if you have questions based on what I say today, go into the archives and, and look for them. Okay. So part of traditional shamanism Part of what is traditional shamanism in dealing with the dead is what is called psychopomp, which is essentially escorting the soul at death, um, making sure it, it completes the journey from the realm of the living here where we are all the way through the invisible world to the land of the dead. And the land of the dead is essentially where the dead belong. And this this idea you have to remember that shamanism operates pre-Christian, pre-Judaism, pre-all the organized religions. So there is no discussion here. You're not going to get any discussion from me about heaven and hell. For me, that's not part of the world that I experience when I work with the dead. So don't ask me questions about that because it's not it's not part of this landscape. This is a this is a pre monotheistic sky god kind of way of thinking about the world and and the reason that i embrace it is because it works that's why so what i see from this then in traditional shamanism you have psychopomp work which is basically the escorting of the soul so for example in the buddhist bardos you see this practice continuing into Buddhism, which is the, the, the speaking and the guiding of the soul to make, it, make its way through all the realms as the Buddhists understand them to the land of the dead. So once a soul, you know, a, form, a formerly, well, so a formerly inhabited so, soul, right, human soul, leaves the body behind at death. And begins this journey when it arrives at the land of the dead from that place it's able to reconnect with the oneness and until that occurs the soul is basically a ghost so if it gets stuck in that process it ends up being basically a ghost so once the energy has arrived at the land of the dead no more ghost and if a person makes that journey and takes advantage of all the spirit help that is available for that journey not a ghost but if you delay if you reject the spirit help if you hang around and kind of miss the boat then you end up ghost okay so there's some real simple reasons people do that like having an accident that kills them and not knowing they're dead and so in that kind of situation psychopomp works really well 
usually just go, well, sorry, the reason things aren't working the way you think they should is because you died in that car accident. Like, really? Yeah, really. Would you like some help getting where you need to go? Well, yeah, I guess so. You got any goodbyes you want to say before you need to go? Well, yeah, I'd like to go, you know, kiss my kids one more time. Okay, great. Let's go do that. So you do that and then off you go to the land of the dead. So that's traditional psychopomp work. Sometimes there might need to be a little more help for the soul before going, but that basically you are able to escort the dead where they belong. That's traditional shamanic psychopomp work, okay, in theory. So now with ancestral healing, we're getting into a situation where the soul is so embroiled in their and, and enmeshed in their unresolved life that they are not able to just simply be guided where they need to go, that they are stuck. And so this is what I'm really talking about. It's the things that stick us here at death are precisely the things that go along with not living our life fully. And so if we can understand how to die well, we actually can understand then how to live well. So this is about the sticky business of ancestral healing. And so when I'm talking about ancestral healing, I'm talking about entering in through shamanic journey states into this unresolved energy of our ancestors and offering them an opportunity for resolution. And this, of course, doesn't change history. We're not going back in time and changing history. As much as I love those movies, as much as anybody else, it's not what we're doing. What we're doing on a larger scale is the same thing you are personally doing when you go back into your life and transform the way you are holding on to a memory and releasing, for example, a way you're holding on to a traumatic memory, which allows you to live differently. Similarly, we can go into this realm of this unresolved energy of the ancestors and assist them in clearing what stuck them here and then after that's complete then we're able to psychopomp them in other words then we're able to then just complete the process which is helping them to journey to where they need to go so that's ancestral healing in a nutshell as I understand it um, so one of the most common reasons that we find that humans need um that, this, that the traditional psychopomp work offered in traditional shamanic training is not adequate to transport the soul is because they have a lifetime of unreconciled relationships. That is the most common reason a person is um, snagged here. And if you understand life from a Dagara perspective, and this is one of the things I saw looking at the lens of life through the work of Maladoma Somme, and and uh, so if you look at it from their perspective that it is actually the burden of unreconciled relationships and, and in essence not living in good relationship with our heart and our purpose in life that kills us in the first place so um, which is a whole another story but the point is not healthy for human beings Unreconciled relationships are not healthy for human beings. Okay, so what are the most common ones? So what is, what is an unreconciled relationship? Well, the most common one we see and we joke about it, but is grudges. You know, the Hatfields and the McCoys. We've got countries, particularly in the old world, that are still fighting national grudges, basically grudge wars against each other that are hideously um, violent now at the level that we fight wars now. But it all goes back to basically not honoring and appreciating each other's right to live here together in a good way. In other words, like I said in the beginning of the show, not knowing how to live together in a good way, not knowing how to be different and still be neighbors. It's not more complicated than that. I mean, relearning how to do that has a certain level of complexity, but the whole issue, the whole issue of holding a grudge is all that it's really about. It's that pathetic, really, when you think about it. And this is 
one of the powerful things shamanism has to show us again and again is we have these high fluting ideas about why it's okay to go over there, march over there and kill that particular group of people. And it's all bullshit. There is no right reason you get to march over there and kill another group of people. Period. You'd never find that in shamanism. Not that shamanic people didn't kill each other. Not saying that. But I'm saying that we need to understand that we have dead people everywhere stuck here because they're holding a grudge. Just a big grudge. And whether it's a personal grudge you're holding against your sister because she took up all the resources in the womb when you were twins and came out in life. She was always stronger than you and more beautiful than you. Got all the guys or girls or whatever you wanted. You know, grudges. They don't serve you in any way. And yet many people hold them. Grudges in their family. Grudges you holding a grudge. I mean, all your unresolved issues with your parents, basically a grudge. Right, so all of these things that you think should have come to you and didn't and holding your stubborn little grudge about that, these are ways that you get stuck. So when we look at ancestral healing, we're also looking at the gross misuse of power throughout the history of humanity on the planet. And so the issue though is, okay, so I'm a slave in the South in the United States. Do I die holding a grudge about this? Or do I do all that I can in my life to the best of my ability given the circumstances of my life and die knowing I did the best that I could in those circumstances? And in that, I'm free. But if I die holding a grudge about that which is unfair, that which is not right or true, but they are the circumstances in my life that for whatever reason I have not been given the means to get out of. Either way is a choice. And this is what the helping spirits are trying to get us to see, that life isn't fair. There's a whole lot of life that's atrocious, whether it's the unfairness of a, you know, the Irish famine or the earthquakes just now in Nepal or the drought we're about to experience here in the United States, where, whether it's the unfairness of nature or the unfairness of humans. Life is not fair. The question is, how do you meet the challenges of your time? Do you do all that you can do in the time you are given and die knowing you did the best you could, even though huge amounts are left undone? Or do you hold a grudge? And then the other reason that relationships go unreconciled is just simple dishonesty, being dishonest with yourself about the degree to which you are part of the problem. That most of the ancestral healing is people just like you and me caught up in your family drama with a little bit of uh, cultural pressure thrown in and not doing the right thing by each other and then not having enough time to set it right because now you're dead right so the other another example big example of this really big example of this in uh, European history at least I'm not quite sure about other cultures so much but I see this all the time in those who have um, European ancestry is um, and British Isles etc is secrecy in the family secrecy about who's really whose mother and whose father and um, lying about um, children whose aren't acknowledged by their mothers or their fathers. Um, Other kinds of secrets that are held in the family, that these secrets are like a poison that can lock family members here long after the secret's even forgotten. No one's even keeping it anymore. It's just nobody knows the truth. 
And all of this really kind of circles around to a big issue in human relationship dynamics, which is simply understanding from a yin-yang perspective, a Taoist perspective, that lack of closure is brutal. It sets up the context for violence. And so when in these family dynamics, relationship dynamics, there's no closure, it, it amps up, the, a person reacts then to the unspoken violence that has been done to them and so they feel uh, justified in being violent back. And the person who just chickened out and didn't do take the steps for closure doesn't understand why they're being attacked and everything escalates. And so the important thing to understand in human dynamics is the need to follow a discussion through, follow a dynamic through to a kind of closure. That doesn't mean everybody's happy, but there's a place of coming to mutual understanding or acceptance or conscious agreement to disagree, whatever it is, being willing to take the steps to complete something is critical for something new to happen. It's also critical to get on with your life, even if you don't actually get to have an ongoing relationship with that person. And this is really crucial awareness, especially in family dynamics where, you know, there's still going to be your family for forever, no matter what you do. And so creating a kind of closure, taking the actions to create closure is really important. And these are exactly the kinds of things that will lock someone here in, um, trying to think of an example, just from sessions this weekend, um, which I can't right now. So anyway, what does this say to us then? So what does it tell us about how to live? One, that you need to complete your interactions with other people no matter how uncomfortable. You need to be willing to circle back around and hear what needs to be heard, say what you need to say, do what needs to be done, uh, no matter how awkward and uncomfortable. And because people avoid closure today, those seeking it seem it seems that much more awkward, right? But you need to do it anyway. One of the things that can help you with that is to clear your own angst, your own triggering, your own issues around the situation and then revisit it with new eyes from a new perspective and a new place and circle back around for the closure after you see it differently because one of the beauties of truly seeing it differently and being willing to be honest is that you see your part in it and so closure often helps if it begins with your apology you know I really see this about what I did and I'm sorry I mean I'm not sure at the time I could have done it any better but I wish that I had something like that the next thing that I see about what uh, these stuck dead people teach us about how to live is it reinforces in a time that is deeply corrupt, it reinforces how important it, us for us, important it is for us as humans, for our own character, our own spiritual well-being to live honestly. And our way of getting through the day is filled with white lies. And it's important, really important for human beings to live honestly. And in that, there's kind of a related thing, which is to value the truth, which is tricky because we have kind of our personal truth. But in, but in being willing to honor and acknowledge our personal truth, we can see then that my personal truth is at odds with a larger universal truth here. I need to grow up here. And then in the growing up, I can circle back around to the interaction and I can do it differently. So really being willing to live honestly, particularly in being really courageous and honest with yourself about yourself and being willing to value the truth and take the challenging steps necessary to live for what you believe is true. And it, it seems... There's so many people stuck 
because it seemed like they had to choose between survival and the truth. And we carry that ancestral patterning today when it's really not true today. In, in, in certain times, you were beheaded for saying certain things and doing certain things, but that's not today. And yet we act as if that is still possible. And so it's very important to, to understand the truth and the challenges in living the truth. And what I mean by that is the challenges of not becoming a righteous zealot not becoming judgmental and controlling around what you believe is the truth, but simply live as a living expression of what you believe is true and let others make their own choices. And another aspect of this is live in a way that your purpose or your service is more important to you than your ego. In other words, how I feel about what I'm doing and the meaning that it has for me is more important than what I get back from other people. The ego strokes that come from other people. That you do what you do because you believe it is right and true. That it is what is honest and true for you. Not because of how what you will get from other people in doing it. And so this aspect of getting stuck and how dealing with the dead teaches us about right life speaks largely to the psychology of family systems but the other main reason that people get stuck at death um, is this big trap of a lifetime of unexpressed emotions and there's a lot of social conditioning around um, around expressing emotions now generally speaking stereotypically we would say that men are encouraged not to express emotions and that women are encouraged are allowed to express their emotions but I would say actually that 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 imbalance goes both ways that people men and women deny and don't express emotions and they indulge and dramatize and overexpress emotions but it is the rare individual today who is actually mature and healthy enough to actually express true emotions directly honestly timely that's a rare individual that people are emotional and they're somewhat emotionally indulgent and dramatic, which is the popularity of so much of this sort of mid-level, what we would call entertainment, like reality shows. And we talk about turning it into a Jerry Springer sort of thing. This is, this is all emotional indulgence. And, it, and it's the counterpart to the emotional denial and not expressing our emotions. And I think that this is a cultural mess that is equally shared with men and women. The important thing is it was also shared by our ancestors. And the, there's not only a Puritan work ethic, there's a Puritan don't express your emotions ethic. And, um, and it comes to us from many cultures. You know, you, my, I know a woman who uh, is Norwegian by her ancestry, and her comment to her children was, um, that's your emotion, keep it to yourself. And that was her parenting, teaching her children not to express or know or speak or share their emotions in any way so this we come by this honestly but this gets us stuck deeply stuck in in the life that was unlived and keeps us from being able to cross over when we die so it's not the nature of emotions to stay put that they're meant to flow and transform through their expression it is the natural path of emotions. So when we refuse them, they stagnate and distort from their um, original clear form just as surely as crystal clear water will become poison that stagnates long enough. And so this is the problem with not expressing our emotions. So given the dominant Western culture here in America, um, that the norming, the norming force of that culture, one of the most common reasons our ancestors are stuck and negatively influencing us is unexpressed grief. We are a culture that does not express its grief well, and as a result, we do not live well. Grief is a gracious, horrific, but gracious experience in that it gives you time. 
it ebbs and it flows but if you allow yourself to flow with it and to have it to grieve your losses then it will run its course and this is the really important thing to understand in a culture that doesn't really do grief it is through grieving that we recognize and honor the value of what we have lost if we don't grieve we act to our towards our own heart as if that thing we lost doesn't matter and it is through honest and authentic grieving that we honor that loss recognize it for what it is and the beauty of whatever that was whether it was your golden retriever or your dearly beloved grandmother loss is loss but when we refuse to grieve it we do not honor who or what that was to us in our life and so another um, similar thing that just sticks people in this life that they cannot get out of is staying attached to unrequited love another aspect of that is engaging in unexpressed love so unrequited love isn't the only reason people often don't express their love um, and that often this uh, evolves into some kind of envy or jealousy and staying stuck in envy and jealousy and the actions that we allow them to drive us to are other reasons we get stuck here envy and jealousy are often at the root of nasty things that end up feeling like curses as well and so these are are um, other really common expressions that come because of our sort of dominant cultural norming the, and the other one which is becoming more and more common now interestingly in this time of supposed great freedom to do what we want to do is choosing not to do what you know in your heart is right and so so getting into that whole um, pursuit of a life that's validated externally you know the the quick bubble economies um, the making a lot of money with a startup just to make the money not because you actually care about the product that is part of the startup so so not doing what is valuable to you that is another way that we get stuck here so what does this tell us about how to live and so what I mean by what does this tell us about how to live is these are the things you can journey about and explore in your own life like um, looking at the degree to which you are living honestly that you're honest with yourself right the things I was talking about earlier in the show so so when it comes to emotions what you can be asking is what losses in my life have gone without true recognition that they deserve without proper grieving and I think as much as we love the big crazy bacchanal of summer and uh, of spring and the great big blowout bonfires of the summer solstice and all of this great you know burning man yahoo gong expression of ritual one of the most important rituals you could commit to do every year is a grief ritual is to truly honor your losses and to do it together, to do it publicly, um, to do it with each other and to support each other in really, truly, finally letting go, honoring the whole that has been drilled into your life and breathe into it and allow it finally through the grieving, through the death, through acknowledging the death to become fertile ground. Another uh, question you can ask yourself is, have you tended to the dreams born of unrequited love? And by that I mean, have you actually recycled those dreams? It's unrequited love, it isn't going to happen. But your energy has gone into that dreaming. So perhaps the reason you aren't able to fully move into your new dreams in your life is because you've left so much of yourself behind in the disappointments of unrequited love whether that was the unrequited love of the job you wanted or the school you wanted to get into or the man or woman of your dreams what dreams have you left 
stillborn and still drawing your energy. Perhaps that's why you can't muster enough to go forward into the dreams you have today. This aspect of death, dying well, also asks us to look at your heart. You know, your heart needs to hear you speak the words and to feel you take the actions that are aligned with those words. That's what the heart needs to live well. That's why, you know, not doing that leads to heart attacks. So that is what it means to allow your heart to lead. It's not a simplistic runoff on every possible romantic um, escapade or financial ventures or something. That's not letting your heart lead. That's just being immature. That it's naive at best. Is what letting your heart lead means is that you align your words and your actions with what has meaning and value in your heart and you make your life which is built of your actions an expression of what is right and true in your heart that's a life of expressed love and so when we don't do that we're living a life that is unexpressed love and the other thing that people do is they don't trust envy and jealousy for the red flags that they are instead they they just allow themselves to be possessed by these energies and carry them off to do horrible things they're going to regret later but the important thing is envy and jealousy are red flags that are saying you want this in your life so disconnect from the red flag that has reminded you of that and go live your life in a way that you can create that thing that you want that it's important to not get lost in the envy and jealousy but to treat them as the markers that they are about what it is that you really want to create in your life and the important thing in all of this is understanding how much choosing matters where are you doing what you know is not right for your heart and again I don't mean this in a simplistic way I don't mean I don't like who I work with I mean so what do you like your work Right? I mean this in the sense of does what you are doing lack the impeccability and integrity necessary for your heart to be happy? I mean, I've had a lot of menial jobs in my life that were beneath me. Big deal. They paid the bills. I did them with impeccability and integrity to the best of my ability, and I feel good about that work. I worked hard, I earned the money. Was it my soul's purpose? No, of course not. But it was what I needed to do to get there. And I think this idea that we're entitled to this, you know, perfectly wonderful job someone else is creating for us is kind of silly. So the biggest thing that we learn from the dead and the things that get the dead stuck and unable to cross over and thus inform us about how we should be living our life is that fear and not trusting the larger workings of the universe. Granted, people come from this by this fear honestly because they've been taught a lot of crazy things by different politics and, relig- and religions. But nonetheless, people are afraid. They don't trust the universe. They don't trust that if they let go of something in life, something else will happen. Or they don't trust that death is okay. And so one of the most common reasons people don't die well is because they didn't live their life. They're still railing against what is unjust and unfair instead of accepting the circumstances of their life for the moment and understanding based on this, what am I being called to do? Am I being called to lead a rebellion? Am I being called to not lead a rebellion but to raise my children to lead the rebellion? You know, I don't know. There are many, many choices, but the issue is what can happen is people don't do their best in life. They don't live their life because of what is unjust and unfair. That becomes the excuse versus the understanding that these are the conditions under which I live in this life. What are they asking of me? I mean, all you have to do is think of someone like Martin Luther King and and recognize the conditions brought greatness out of this man. I'm not saying the conditions are good or that they should continue. But I also don't believe Martin Luther King got stuck here when he died. 
because he lived well in the in right smack in the face of great injustice and was killed for. But the man still died well because he lived well. So what we have before us then is recognizing that dying is part of life. It is that simple. The end of life and the unique beauty in it is just as important as the beauty of birth. So living in a fear of death contorts our lives, robbing us of death as our ally, as the one who helps us ask the kinds of questions. Is today a good day to die? That's what death asks us to ask every day and to live in a way that we can say, yes, it could be. Not that I want to, but it could be. So when death is accepted as part of this journey, it helps us to live a rich and full and embodied journey. One of my favorite quotes is from Alva Simon, and it simply says, death is only one of the many ways to lose your life. The dangers of not doing what you perceive as your destiny are greater than anything else. And I give thanks to the helping spirits that help us to live in such a courageous way. I give thanks to the ancestral energies, human and non-human, to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.